Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, another Baseball America playoff podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by Kyle Glazer and Ben Badler this morning. Um, guys, we just our, the the goal was put to me by a friend this morning on the phone. Make sure your podcast takes less time than the seventh inning of last night's game. <laughs> so, sixty six minutes. I think we can do that. Sixty six minute inning. But I'll start with you, Kyle. Then go to Ben. That was a crazy inning, and I think we learned a couple of things. Number one, we learned teams that use five or more pitchers in an inning bad. No bueno. Uh, Chris Heisey, good pinch hitter, like the, the Lenny Harris of a latter generation. <laughs> And third, we learned that while it may take some time, the last few innings of a tight, well-played playoff baseball game provide a drama that is really hard to find anywhere else in sport. At least, I know we're biased, but the drama of those last three innings last night was excruciating and fantastic. I think the only other comparable uh, type of moment in sport is double overtime in the NHL playoffs like where every, death, yeah. every single shot could be the game ender. But it was really impressive. And I think the lasting legacy of this game mm-hmm. is going to be obviously, you know, Kenley Jansen, especially in this postseason when there's been so much vitriol on both sides about when to use your closer, the traditional versus using whenever crowd. And, you know, I thought it was interesting and, and my feelings on it. And as I came, as I dwelled on it a little more is that, look, if you have that, you know, Kansas City Royals pen of last year where you have, you know, Herrera, Madsen, Davis, seven, eight, nine, boom, 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 or the year before where it was Herrera, Davis, Holland, seven, eight, yeah. nine, boom. That's optimal. If you have that and you can line them up like that, great, awesome, do it. But in the case of the Dodgers where, okay, you had to use Joe Blanton early. And anyone, I know if you look at on the surface, you go, oh, Pedro Baez and Luis Avalon, their numbers are okay. Anyone who's watched the Dodgers this year knows that they are completely unreliable. Well, just in this series. In know, this series alone, game, game three. <laughs> so in that, from that perspective, I really liked what Dave Roberts did where he basically look, considering my other options, I don't have that 7th, 8th inning guy like the Royals of 14-15 or the Angels of 0-2, you know, when you had, you know, that Donnelly, Rodriguez, Percival, 7-8-9. If you're going to beat me, it's going to be with my two best pitchers on the mound. It right. took cojones, and in this instance, I thought it worked great. I, you know, When people were complaining about Buck Showalter not bringing Zach Britton, he was completely right to not bring him in when he had Darren O'Day and Brad Brack to go, because those are two all-star guys in set-up roles. The mistake was when he didn't put Britton in over Ubaldo Jimenez, because <laughs> right. there comes a certain point where the drop-off you're going to get is so great. And that's why I like what Roberts did here is... The fact that, hey, my options are, at that point... Season's on the line. Right. I'm going to have my best guy out. Right. And if you, beat, if you beat me with my best, my two best pitchers on the line, more power to you. Yeah. But I thought that that it was ballsy. Yeah. And, but I liked the decision he made, given the circumstances and the context of Game 5, what else was in the bullpen. Yeah, I guess, Ben, the, the, the word of the du jour was the, that uh, Kelly Jansen came up bigly last night for the Dodgers, <laughs> if I can use... If that's a word, and I think it's entered the lexicon this fall, but uh, 
were you were you on team uh, team trash the way people use bullpens traditionally? Because it seems like uh, th- that's been one narrative and one theme of the first round of the playoffs. And and Jansen certainly uh, being deployed early worked for the Dodgers last night. Yeah, and that's the thing that always gets me about some of these debates that people have about whether you should use your, you know, you should have the seventh and eighth inning guy, an eighth inning guy, a ninth inning guy, or if you, if you should just bring your best reliever in in, in the biggest moment of the game as, as though it's somehow, you know, old school versus new school. No, old school was you bring him in. That's right. That's the, the biggest moment in the game. You bring him in in the seventh. You might bring him in in the fifth inning. That's exactly. <laughs> and, that's and the, the way to go innings. about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this is not, it, it's it's kind of funny how, how how much things have changed and kind of evolved or devolved in, in some sense right. over the course of time. But yeah, it's I think everybody watching the game probably could could realize, yeah, this seventh inning, this is the most important inning of the game right here. Uh, f- obviously, there are some extenuating circumstances. Are right, are we really going to have Kenley Jansen pitch three innings? And I don't think anybody was expecting, including the Dodgers, were expecting to bring in or planning to bring in Clayton Kershaw and have him pitch in that game on one day's rest. But, yeah, in the biggest moment of the game, which that was for them in, in the seventh inning, uh, that's that's when you need to bring in your best pitcher. It, I, I tell you what, the, the flippity-flop of that is the Nationals – and boy, Dusty Baker in this very tortured postseason history for him now where his teams have lost their last nine games. The last nine times they've played a game that could win a series, <laughs> a Dusty Baker team has lost that game. That is an excruciating stat across three franchises, Cubs and Reds and now Nats, which is just <laughs> brutal. I guess it starts with the Giants, actually, 2002. Well, but there was that. They did win that first-round postseason series in 03 to get to the NLCS with Baker. But you're right. I mean, so it's nine straight and 11, and 11 of 12. I Ooh, mean, it's, it's, it's bad. It's not, but, it's not pretty. But to me, um, I didn't think he was cruising. I know HR, I know Harold Reynolds can overdo points at times, but I do think he identified correctly at the time Early, Scherzer was cruising. And that Justin, that Red Turner at bat, thirteen pitch at bat, that was a big at bat. It drove up his pitch count. I, I do think it just upset kind of the rhythm of uh, Max Scherzer. But he still pitched six shutout innings. Gets that home run to Jock Peterson. You know who's that's what Jock Peterson does. I'll you know kudos to you, Ben. You were always on top of Jock Peterson from day one of him as a prospect. But um, man. I was a quick hook in a game where I thought, if I'm the Nats, I don't want anybody. I want to go Scherzer to Melanson. I don't want to use Blake Trinan uh, or anybody else unless it's an emergency. I, I was surprised by the quick hook. Kyle, Ben, what, what did you guys think of that uh, of when Scherzer came out? I, I did think it was a mistake. He's at 99 pitches, and this is not, you know, a 20-year-old rookie. This is a guy who we've seen can hold up over 120, 130 pitching for your season. I do agree that if you can go Scherzer, Melanson, great. But even that, you can bring in Sammy Solis, who's been so good all year and you know has been effective, uh, you know, period, regardless of splits. And yeah. for me, it's they used him every single game of the series. Right. I mean, so. and you can get one fling. My issue comes into the overmanaging when, all right, you get a batter and you get a batter and you get a batter. This is the postseason. These are the guys who got you there all year by giving you a solid inning. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, if 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 you are truly reliable, as some of these Nationals guys were, 
let him get through the inning. So for me, it's you let Scherzer at least get through seven, bring in, pick your favorite, you know, Solis, even Trina for the eighth, Melanson in the ninth, and, you know, be done with it. I, I right. do think it goes back to, again, you know, if they're going to beat you, at least let them beat you with your best arm on the mound. Yeah. And if that happens, it happens. That's that's sports. That's life. That's but, it. I don't want to get beat. As good as Sammy Solis has been, I don't want to get beat with Sammy Solis on the mound or Blake Trinan. I want to get beat with Scherzer and, and Melanson, Ben. I mean, I, I just – and I'm, I'm, I read a Masson story. I called it back up where, you know, Scherzer said, uh, you know – if he felt, you know, I wanted to go, but I mean, I told him I'm good to go. I understood what his decision was. You know, he talked about matching up with lefties and stuff, but um, I don't know. It just felt like that was uh, questionable, even just as it was happening. I just remember, okay, you give it the home run to Peterson, he'll settle back in or try to. And it's the, I, I was flabbergasted that he took Scherzer out. I, I was surprised, too. I don't think it's one of those decisions where you put all the blame for the loss on, on Dusty oh, Baker by any not. means. Right. But, but but yeah, I mean, you're bringing – you have Scherzer out, and Scherzer is – I mean, this guy is an ace. There's no question this is one of the top handful of pitchers in baseball. And you bring him out for the seventh inning, he throws – what, it was it was one pitch, right? The yeah. Peterson. Yeah, one or two He hits a home run, and then you – and then you give him the hooks. So if you're going to bring him out, you're comfortable enough bringing him out on 98 pitches. You know, just because Jock Peterson hits a home run on the 99th pitch, all of a sudden you're going to yank him from the game. That to me seems uh, I, I didn't like that move. It seems like an overreaction to you know to him just giving up the home run on one pitch. If you're going to bring him out there to start the seventh, and he just happens to give up a, a, a run <laughs> yeah. on the first pitch he throws, uh, I don't see that as a, a reason to hook him. I mean, yeah. his stuff that, his stuff last night was, was electric. I don't think he was commanding his breaking ball particularly well, but uh, the, the fastball was mid-90s, zipping around, a lot of weight swings on that, and then the changeup he threw, I think it was nine swings and misses that he got on that pitch, it was probably most of them from Adrian Gonzalez, but <laughs> uh, it was—I mean, it was—it uh, was straight out of a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon. The yeah. way hitters were just so out front on that pitch, the the way he the way he throws it and then repeats his arm speed, and then the late movement on the pitch—it's just—it's indistinguishable from the fastball. And when you had to gear up for 95, I mean, sitting at 95, touching 97. Then he throws that changeup on you that's just zigzagging everywhere. You can't pick it up out of his hand, and it's 10 miles an hour slower than that fastball. It was just such a such a huge weapon for him against, uh, especially against those left-handed hitters. Uh, for me, it, it, yeah, again, at 99 pitches, there's you could see the way he was throwing. He, the, not just the the stuff, but uh, really, everything about, about what he was doing yesterday was was pretty dominant. That's the killer so to, to me is that the changeup was so good. Why do you need lefty matchup guys? His changeup was so effective, and he averaged ninety six miles an hour last night, according to Statcast data. That's the highest average velocity he's had on a fastball all year. Which that velocity, like you said, you have to gear up for it. And then when you're geared up for that and the changeup was so good last night, I mean, he didn't even need the breaking ball, which I usually think of as the Max Scherzer swing and miss pitch. His power fastball, power breaker. So he, he, his stuff was really good last night. And that, that's, that was the other reason why I was really 
surprise. I, I don't think Dusty Baker lost that game for the Nationals. I don't think he helped them win it. And uh, you know, Dave Roberts, for a first-year manager, and we talk about this all the time uh, with teams that are analytically inclined, what exactly does the manager do? And like how much that um, Dodger front office and Don Mattingly might have clashed, how much they were in opposition. And here you see a guy in Dave Roberts who clearly is in line with his front office, but he still is the one in that dugout. And I'm impressed both by his demeanor and by just the decisiveness with the plan they had last night. We're going to go with Rich Hill as long as we can. We're going to have a reliever ready to come get him in the middle of the inning, not Julio Urias. We'll start an inning for Julio Clean. We will not start him in the middle of an inning because he's a starter and he's 20. We're going to do whatever we can to put him. in 14 days. Have him pitch in 14 days. <laughs> We're going to give that guy every chance to be successful. And so I was impressed, A, by the way, Dave Robert Tannerl's bullpen. All the attention is going to be on the Jansen and Kershaw decisions, and I understand why. I thought his early decisions were just as significant, just as good. And, man, just from a Baseball America standpoint, you know, Sunday I was on Grant Paulson's show on Sirius XM, and I said, he asked me the last question. was like, real quick, the name of a rookie, other than the ones we've already talked about, who's going to make an impact on the playoffs. And I said, sometime in that series, it's going to be Julio Arias who's going to have to get some big outs for the Dodgers. And he got some big outs for the Dodgers, and he looked really good. But I know you've written about him for a long time. I'm going to guess you weren't surprised by how big he came up last night and how well he pitched. No, he's always just been he's just been so advanced for his age forever in terms of not just the not so much the stuff, but just the the feel for what he's doing on the mounds. And it's it's kind of a fun contrast seeing him going up against Scherzer where you have Scherzer who's this I mean, they they both have pretty electric stuff. Right. whereas Scherzer does it I mean, Scherzer looks like he's throwing ninety seven or looks like he's throwing hundred seven with the way his <laughs> His high-energy delivery works. I mean, he's just throwing not completely max effort, but there's there's definitely a lot more moving parts to it, the head whack at the end, yep. uh, everything that he does going into the mechanics. He looks like he's throwing hard, whereas Julio Urias is, you know, he's throwing 95, but it doesn't look like it should be right. 95. It's just so smooth and easy and, and effortless. Everything looks like it just comes very easily to him and, and that's the one who's 20 years old, not not Max Scherzer. He's the one who's doing it with such a, a free and easy delivery. So the yeah, I mean, stuff so that he controlled. has. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think he's going to be at some point a number one starter. He's obviously not there yet, but with how easily he does everything, I think the the command that he has for his age, and it's not. I don't think it's plus major league command right now. But again, he just turned 20 a couple of months ago. Uh, and you can see the stuff across the board is, uh, you know, plus if if not better. Kyle, you've been, you've been around the Dodgers. You've been in that club. You were there when Manley was there. Uh, it, it, did they seem this year under Dave Roberts when you were there a little bit more, just on the same page, a little more, a little more seamless in terms of how the front office and that dugout and that clubhouse interact? You know, to be honest. I didn't see it this huge difference. I, to be completely honest, thought that was a little overly played up, the whole Mattingly versus Friedman thing. And, you know, to be honest, Don Mattingly ran a really, really, really well-run clubhouse with a lot of big personalities. Then I thought... You he did saw, that again in Florida this year in and, Miami. And that, in that clubhouse, you saw it get better from 13 to 14 to 15 in terms of 
how well it was being run. But I do think that if you're going to replace Don Mattingly, Doc Roberts was the guy to do it. Another guy who has major league credentials, has a calm demeanor, really you know is able to sit down the guys who aren't pulling their weight, but right. you know also knows when to back off guys. So I don't know about that, but but it goes back to the, his bullpen management, which. I'm, and longtime major league manager who I've been fortunate enough to know for a while uh, said something to me interesting to me uh, when I saw him last year. He said, "To be a hundred percent honest, ninety percent of my job today, of a manager's job today, is really just managing your bullpen mm-hmm. because you've got all your other coaches dealing with outfield positioning, alignments. You absolutely are yep. looking at all the advanced scouting reports and the lineups. In some ways, you know, really kind of set themselves." Yeah. You in terms of the quote-unquote X's and O's I mean, for major league managers, it's almost all bullpen. We saw the other 10% last night, which was the, the double switching and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I mean, that was, I thought it was interesting to say, you know, 90% of my job is managing my bullpen. Another 10% is making sure my clubhouse runs okay. I mean, right. so in that sense, I thought that that was just, it was an interesting statement that came up as I was watching it last night where, you know, we can sit here and talk all about, you know, X and Y drama with X front office. But at the end of the day, if a manager is, not using his bullpen correctly, as we saw with Matt Williams last year, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, insert your favorite story here. I mean, that will lose you more games than any, you know, reported tension, rumors that come up in June. So I think that that's interesting. And, and on that note, you know, we talk about the bullpen, and John, you mentioned it. I mean, Dusty Baker obviously is going to get heat because that's the manager's job, but the Nationals offense had four hits over the final seven and a third inning. Yeah. And ultimately, I, yeah, he wasn't up there when I was texting with my brother, who's a Nats season ticket holder, you know, and I had this interaction with a couple of Nats fans on Twitter, you know, Dusty Baker didn't strike out with first and third and nobody and one out. Jason Worth did. You know, he didn't strike out with the bases loaded. Anthony Rendon did. You know, twice Anthony Rendon came up empty when they walked. Daniel Murphy to get to Anthony Rendon. So one one big hit from some of these guys who are right in the middle of the Nats lineup, your three and five hole hitters, changes the whole game, Kyle. And and, and even beyond that, if you want to criticize the coaching, and I thought Kevin Kiernan on Twitter was actually spot on with this, the Nats hitters were falling into the Little League trap of, I'm going to try and hit a home run here. Their swings were so long and so trying to change the game. Just put the darn ball in play. So if you want to get on the coaching for that and not you know, saying what you need to say to ensure, hey, Line drive is okay here. We yeah. don't need you to be a hero. But at the end of the day, you're right. These are professional hitters, all of whom are veterans, all of whom are you know have been in the postseason before yeah. and know what they need to do. And they did not make the appropriate adjustments. They did not really go up there with the best game plans. And that is on them. At the end of the day, that's on them. Yeah, I thought Worth had good at bats. You know, Jen, Kenley Jansen, I just thought that his matchup with Jansen in the seventh, which is like a great like a hat tip to Jansen. Jansen threw him that one nasty slider. And uh, on 2-2, and somehow Worth fouled that one off. But I think it upset his timing enough that he was a little tardy on the next fastball. Um, and, and I do uh, – the, the one uh, – the only guy I thought was overmatched the whole time was Wilmer Defoe. But at the same time, you know, from the Nats standpoint, you know, you, you go into – and this is one of the great things about baseball. You go in the bottom of the ninth. They had their guys. They had Harper. They had Worth, and they, they had, had Daniel Murphy got pitched to. Now, granted, he got pitched to by Clayton Kershaw, but he didn't but get he, pitched to. He had hit Kershaw in and, the past. And he had hit Kershaw in the playoffs. And Ben, I mean, just in that one, to me, that's the legacy for, for Kershaw is one of the guys who'd been one of his past playoff demons, Daniel Murphy, last year, 
he faces him down on one day's rest, and he gets the better of him. And then Wilmer Defoe, talk about anticlimactic. <laughs> you know, Kershaw versus Defoe. Not quite the same drama as Kershaw versus Murphy. I don't know what's your take on kind of how uh, hot or hot take or not on how that performance last night does it kind of change the Kershaw playoff narrative, which has always been pretty negative. I, I guess. I mean, I think there's some. The, the truth is, I, I think it's some. There's some reality in that Clayton Kershaw has struggled. I completely in agree. The postseason. Yeah. I I don't think that's even. If you look at what he does or what he's done in the regular season, he's been. Probably the best pitcher of the last decade. Yeah. And can we remove the probably uh, from if, that? If I think you... that's probably pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of it was in the minor leagues, but well, <laughs> since he, he's uh, come up. Yeah. He, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't performed <laughs> quite as well as in the postseason as he has during the regular season. Now, some of that is on the bullpen, his relievers allowing. A lot of his the, the runners that they've inherited from him to score. Yeah. Uh, but even if you you know sort of normalize that to, to some degree, it, he still hasn't pitched that great in the postseason, especially compared to how he usually does in the regular season. Does that mean he isn't a, a clutch pitcher? No, or that he can't pitch in October? No, it doesn't mean he's some kind of a, a choker or anything like that. But, I mean, there's some reality to he has not performed as well in October as he has during the regular season. So uh, I don't think it changes anything about his ability to pitch in October, but I'm sure people will uh, – I'm sure there are going to be some people who are now realizing, oh, all right, this guy <laughs> – there, there's nothing uh, in particular that's different about Clayton Kershaw right. in October than there is during the other months of the season. This is – the best pitcher in baseball, and to me, the, the what I was wondering is, you know, if, if you're the Dodgers front office, I mean, like you were saying, I think they're pretty much on the same page as Dave Roberts during those during those earlier innings and during those, yeah. you know, the call to go to Joe Blaine and, and Urias uh, in the middle of the game and, and bring Jansen in in the seventh inning, but it doesn't sound. I mean, it didn't sound like their their pitching coach or or their or anybody was expecting. I mean, David David Roberts even before the game. I mean, I guess he doesn't have to necessarily be honest about it, but he was asked, "Are you is Clayton Kershaw going to be going to be available right. in this game?" He said, "Absolutely not." That's yep. <laughs> so, right. So it was it was Kershaw, really amazing. It, it, was, a, it was a veteran press conference on uh, on Roberts' part, as Dennis Lynn and I were tweeting back and forth last night. Veteran move there. But, I mean, that was yeah, but, that was a very un, the data says don't do that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking because I would imagine. But I was like, yeah. go ahead. I don't know what the. I, I mean, maybe maybe it says don't use Kershaw. I don't know. Is it better to go to him, or is it better to stay with Kenley Jansen, who exactly. you know after fifty pitches was visibly who on clearly gas. I mean, you could yeah. see his command wasn't there. His delivery was coming apart. He just wasn't. Repeating his mechanics and, and his location was off. I mean, he still has a that nasty cutter. I don't know that you need to be all that precise your location right. for that, but pitch to work. But he did still walk four batters. Yeah, and he's a, and he's a impending free inning. agent. He doesn't have that thirty million dollars guaranteed a year like Kershaw does. So, to me, uh, you know, it, last night was definitely a moment of uh, 
I, I, a, I wonder, like, if they'd hired Gabe Kapler as their manager, like there were rumors they were going to last year, and apparently the interview didn't go well, and yada, yada, yada. Maybe I guess there's stories about players going to the front office saying, don't hire him as, as manager. Um, I, would, I would bet that Gabe Kapler wouldn't have brought in Kershaw because Gabe Kapler, even though he was there for Derek Lowe on two days rest, starting Gabe 7 against the Junkies in, 19, in 2004, and Derek Lowe coming out on short rest in the bullpen repeatedly those two years for the Red Sox, um, one of the forgotten heroes of those Red Sox teams. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was there front and center, and he saw Derek Lowe come out in short rest and stay durable after that. But the analytics, I think, say don't do that with your $30 million guy. you got to look long-term. And I, I bet you that Gabe Kapler wouldn't have used – uh, Clayton Kershaw. So I thought that was really interesting. And I do think from a quote-unquote being covering college baseball and the draft as much as I do, the abuse word gets thrown around so much. I mean, if Kenley Jansen, uh, and again, he's a pending free agent, big payday ahead of him. I think a lot of people who call it abuse in college baseball would have called it abuse last night if it weren't for the fact that they are getting paid. That is a big difference. I get it. But Kelly Jansen, if he gets hurt and it costs him a big payday, um, you know, you wonder. I think really it's up to Kenley Jansen. He is an adult, and the kids in college aren't, so that's another difference. But that's a pretty gutsy play by Kenley Jansen to go back out there for that third inning to well, extend himself. Exactly. Like he's, he's not going to say no. I mean, when you're a right, none of the play about... exactly none of the competitors are ever going to say no. I mean, that, that's exactly it's, right. It's postseason, it's game five. You're going to want the ball. If 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 you in that spot are thinking about. Oh gosh, I want to save my arm for my fifty million dollar. You mean you mean like Roger Clemens in nineteen eighty six? Then then you have a <laughs> sorry. Then you, have a, then you have a makeup problem. I mean, these are professional athletes. This is what you play for. Everything we talk about with player development yeah. and are I mean, it's like this, Augie Garrido. This, this is what you are building towards. There's not you yeah. know postseason baseball. Right. Getting, You're there to you play to win the game. <laughs> I mean, this is not you know this is not you know a, a college kid pitching thirteen innings of an extra inning game like Austin right. Wood did. This is. Of major league veteran professional Austin playing Luda's, at the highest stage, of course he's going to want the ball, and I think it's ludicrous to suggest he shouldn't have gotten it. Austin Wood is when, is when uh, Augie Garrido said, "I'm not defending the Austin Wood thing because I think when the kid's throwing up in the trash can, you should take him out <laughs> in between innings." But um, it was when Austin Wood did that crazy 11 plus innings, 12 innings, whatever he threw in relief for Texas that Augie Garrido after that game said, "You know sometimes." You have to let a kid be a hero. And I do think the Dodgers basically last night got out of the way and let Kenley Jansen and Clayton Kershaw be heroes. And they were able to perform heroically. And it is compelling theater, and it was a a lot of fun to watch. So um, now we have two more series to look ahead to. Dodgers-Cubs, certainly the Dodgers... um, It's always better to come in that series. Always better to come in with a little momentum. They won a game. Um, I don't know. Do you turn uh, Clayton Kershaw to a moment of truth reliever in this series now? I mean, is that a, 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 you can only pitch him? You probably can't pitch him till Game Three. Um, so the Cubs are certainly tan rested and ready, and both Toronto and Cleveland facing each other, both coming off sweeps, rested rotation set up. Um, ben, what were your you know thoughts on those two series looking ahead, especially well in the American League with Cleveland and Toronto? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that Cleveland-Toronto series. That uh, the Blue Jays lineup right now, it's just merciless. The, <laughs> and it's such a contrast to see some of the 
some of those games between the <clears throat> some of those NL games where it's just been some lights out pitching matchups going back to the, the wild card game with uh, with Syndergaard and Bumgarner and then just watching the Blue Jays just keep putting balls over the fence <laughs> like hitter after hitter after hitter so uh, that lineup right now to me is just so fun to watch. It is, and uh, you know, I think it'd be really, really interesting if the Indian staff was fully healthy. If they had Carlos Carrasco, there's there's rumors Danny Salazar might be ready for the ALCS roster, and then they're saying he's not. The official roster hadn't been released as of when we came in to do this podcast, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And and I, I just, I really, you know, we've seen having good bullpens goes a long way, and the Indians' offense is no slouch. I mean, you look between. Mm. Kipnis and Lindor and Santana, and I, I will say that if I'm the Indians and if they can get an early lead and then you can hand it off to, you know, that Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, I mean, there's just, you know, Dan Otero, bullpen, that's that's pretty comforting. I, I think I've seen some people say Blue Jays in four, Blue Jays in five. I wouldn't go there. Uh, you can actually read we're going to have uh, ALCS and NLCS playoff previews on Baseball America later with a prediction. You can see the prediction there, but... To me, this is a series that's gone six because you look at, I mean, the, the Indians have to be favored. The two games, Corey Kluber's on the mound because right. any of the lineup he faces, he's still probably the best pit, he, you know, he's the best pitcher on the mound. Yeah, and I mean, then, yeah, he's a, he should win. Uh, yeah, if he doesn't win the American League Cy Young, he should finish second to Verlander. For me, those are the two best candidates. So, so I think, but I, it's interesting. I think the Cubs Dodgers series will have. All of the you know the prime time and the hype just because a it's Chicago and L A B yeah, three you have three day games I called it earlier this with the week that the uh, the American League series will be the undercard three yeah. day games for the American but, League but Championship I, I series I do think the Indians Blue Jays is actually going to be the more entertaining series you've got two teams who can just do so many things offensively defensively you know some big arms from Kluber and Stroman and and don't get me wrong Cubs Dodgers is going to be a great series too but. Just think about the raw excitement of those two offenses with yeah. the with those two defenses with those two pitching staffs. I mean, there's that's going to be some really good baseball. I like Toronto in that yeah. series, uh, Ben, just because for me the one vulnerability that that two headed monster in the bullpen of Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. Well, maybe it's a one and a half headed monster. I mean, Andrew Miller's the monster. <laughs> Cody Allen's good, gritty, gutty. I love Cody, but uh, he's not on that same level. But the one weakness they both have is. Those guys can hang a breaking ball. Andrew Miller almost, he had 10, 10 wins, nine walks, eight home runs allowed this year. <laughs> That's a weird-ass stat line for a guy who had the kind of year that he had. Um, but even you know, even Brock Holt almost took him out. You know, the Red Sox did hit the ball hard off him. Uh, you cannot, he won't, there's no Brock Holt in that, in that <laughs> Toronto lineup. There's uh, nothing but dudes swinging out of their, he, from their heels trying to do damage I have a feeling that in one or two of those games, either a, a tired Cody Allen or Andrew Miller will make a mistake with a slider, and Toronto doesn't seem like the kind of lineup that lets you get away with that stuff. And I think Marco Estrada's uh, really – I just like their pitching staff. I like their front four uh, rotation-wise for Toronto. My worry for them is their bullpen, the back of their bullpen. And um, if I had any faith in R.A. Dickey if I were Toronto, <laughs> I would start Dickey in game four if you could get away with it. And, and I would Sanchez put I would put Sanchez time. as your moment of truth reliever, and I, I really do feel like the guy who can throw two innings three or four times a series is a better role for Aaron Sanchez right now than six trying to get him six innings in one or two games. I, I you know 
I'm sure they've I'm sure they've discussed that, and uh, I'll be you know I I will we'll see how it works out. But I, if I were them, with as frustrating as I think their bullpen is, who do you really want being that guy taking the middle innings and having to face say Napoli or Lindor or the meat of that Indians lineup? Do you want that to be Joe Biagini in the seventh inning, or do you want that to be Aaron Sanchez? Brett Cecil. Aaron uh, Loop. That's what I'm saying. I want that to be Aaron Sanchez. And I, I think the first round of the playoffs has told us, Ben, that they'd be better served with Aaron Sanchez in that role than Joe Biagini. I don't know. Is that too radical? I mean, Joe Biagini this year has been He's phenomenal. been good. He's been good. I, you're right. He's been outstanding. That's a, that's a heck of a pickup for, it was. for the Blue Jays. It really was. A, that is, um, it's surprising that J.J. Cooper hasn't been shouting it from a – from a mountain most high, uh, considering that Joe Biagini is one of the more impactful Rule 5 picks, you know, in the postseason in a while. Yeah, I, I want to go back to one thing you said, John. You said if Aaron Sanchez is more valuable in a two-inning role than throwing six innings one twist. I think Aaron Sanchez is more valuable in a two-inning role than as, the, as getting only one start in the series. But if you make him your game's three and six starter, mm-hmm. then that's absolutely what you do. He is such a bona fide ace that if you can get him two starts where oh, no he can go six, seven innings, that's more valuable. Now, if you have him lined up as your game four starter, then maybe I think it's a little more viable. But I think well, they're if going they're that, going they Estrada, Hap, Stroman, Sanchez. So they have Sanchez lined up as the fourth starter. Right, which to me at that point, yeah. then then you can say, okay. Well here's the question. Does that mean he's gonna throw in relief in game one? And that wouldn't we'll find surprise, out. that wouldn't surprise <laughs> because what they say in the pregame press conference, Dave Roberts proved to us, doesn't uh, you know? They don't have to be held to that. You know, that's not a binding. That's not a binding but, press conference. Again, I think it'll depend if you know Encarnacion, Batista, and Donaldson come out and go yard early, and the Blue Jays find themselves up eight to two in the seventh. You're not going to see them. But right. you know, if it's a two-one game, then maybe. But again, yeah, the I other think, guy I mentioned obviously was Francisco Liriano, and I, and I guess it's uh, still a it's still a decision. They might they were as of yesterday they were still trying to figure out whether he'd be on the roster or not. Um, do you really you want know. Francisco Liriano in in a big spot? I know he pulled. It I do. Off. Actually. I, know, I know he pulled it off. I do. In, in, I like I, him in both against Baltimore. I just I like I like Liriano. Uh, I mean, like it, you know, the thing is, if he's not on, you'll know. You'll know pretty you know, soon. You, you'll know. I, I saw him on opening day this year for the Pirates. We could tell pretty early he didn't have his best. That was not his best day. There was a game against the Angels where you could see it. It's almost like he falls apart fast. It's almost like Kurt Warner when you know he was an incredible quarterback for so long, but because he what what is quarterback? What is that? What sport is that? But (laughs) it was interesting. You could tell, especially a little bit later in his career, by the first quarter if it was not his day. So it's kind of interesting. Spoken like an Arizona State fan who's uh, seen the saw you saw a lot of Arizona Cardinals football up close and personal. Yep, during that era, I think. uh, But are we all saying we're picking the Blue Jays here? I am, but I didn't. I don't know if we got a pick from Ben. Uh, I'll go with the Indians in this series, and uh, in fact, the guy I really want to see play in this series. The guy I'm really excited to see is Francisco Lindor. Yep, yep. Because, you know, everybody at the thing in the world saw Javi Baez playing yep. for the Cubs and the the energy and, and the excitement that he brings to that game. Just obviously the the bat speed that he has and the arm strength, the fielding ability, the quickness, uh, but just the, the passion that he plays with. And this is Francisco Lindor 
has all of that, and he's he's a better player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is a he's a phenomenal shortstop. I mean, he is he's still young. He's what I think he's still twenty two. He's twenty two. He's yeah. still twenty. Yeah, about to turn twenty three soon. Uh, so it's not like anyone's been overlooking the guy. I would say he's only been in the league for about a, a season and a half. But I'm, I'm excited to see him on the on the big stage because there's you know he just has a knack for staying calm, slowing the game down. I mean, you see it. It's, you know, we saw it with Urias. Uh, we see you know guys like Corey Seager just play so calm and under control, uh, but still with energy too. And he's just so. Uh, he's just so talented, and in really everything he does, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. Uh, he understands the strike zone. He has a knack for, uh, you know, for putting the bat to the ball. The, a really nice short, compact swing. Everything he does is is just exciting. He's just he's fun to watch play, and I'm glad that you know playing in Cleveland. I don't think he gets a ton of national exposure, but I think everybody who's you know, been reading Baseball America over the last five years. Has <laughs> been excited about Francisco Lindor, so I'm happy that he's going to get the opportunity to, to do it on the big stage. You know, it's on the, in the ALCS. You know, it's interesting with Lindor. I think um, you know people talk about him as, oh, you know, he's so good defensively, so quick, and you're right, Ben. He has, but I think people really underrate this guy is also a really, really, really good hitter. Yeah, it's not like really he's a, it's not like he's a slap hitting, thirty doubles, fifteen <laughs> yeah. homers. 78 RBIs. I mean, this is a guy who delivers power. I mean, 42 slug as a rookie, 435 this year. I mean, but I mean, this is a guy who, you know, double digit home runs, and he, 25 he, to 30 doubles. He I controls mean, this, the strike zone. He doesn't strike out a ton. I mean, it's, uh, it's, he can steal a bag when you need it. He, he's a, I love the way you described him, Ben. I mean, like, and again, same draft class. Both these guys went to, I mentioned this on the podcast the other day, they went to Diploma Mill High School in Florida, <laughs> Arlington Country Day, and Monteverde Academy. Academy, and they played each other early in the year. I mean, like, see, when I see Joe Blanton, uh, this is a uh, spoiler alert, uh, I'm old, but Joe Blanton, I see Joe Blanton, I can't help but think of 2002 draft year, early season, all the buzz was, hey, Ball State plays Kentucky, and there were like 60 scouts there to watch Joe Blanton against Brian Bullington. <laughs> and Brian Bullington was the first overall pick in that draft. And he was a bust. He's one of the worst number one overall picks ever. Guaranteed number three starter. Yeah, and then, that's right. And then <laughs> Joe Blanton had his highs and lows. You had another 2008, uh, yeah, another 2008 uh, Philly who's still in these playoffs. But um, yeah, Joe Blanton still out there chugging. So I, every time I see Joe Blanton, I think of two things. Cankles. And that started against Brian Bullington. And every time I see Lindor Baez, I think about 2011 draft when their two high schools played each other in Florida. And the, the story, I wasn't there, but the story goes, there were like 100 scouts at the game to see Monteverde against, uh, uh, against Arlington Country Day. And you're going to have um, a lot of those guys, potentially, all those area scouts who are there watching these two high school players and projecting them out as impact big leaguers could very well five years later watch those guys match up in the World Series that to me is what we're all about. It is just that taking that scouting and player development angle and seeing those players before they were stars and now seeing them through to this level is what's so exciting about our jobs and still keeps me juiced about it 20 years in. And uh, those are two guys I can't get enough of. Uh, I can't get enough of watching Kyle Hendricks pitch because he's so different. I can't get enough watching Andrew Miller because I've seen him since he was a 
high, uh, college freshman in North Carolina. So, so many of those storylines. It's been a great first round of the postseason. I'm looking forward to the championship series round, Kyle. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, the real question is we've talked about the Blue Jays and, and the Indians. I think Cubs-Dodgers. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the you know, the marquee series. You know, it is, but I think it's going to be over. I think it's going to be over so, early. So I like the Dodgers, but I, I, the Cubs, I think the Cubs are significantly better team. Like Lisa Tipton on Twitter asked us, what are the odds of the Cubs winning, winning at all? I mean, they're better than 25%. <laughs> you know, there are four teams left. They're at least 20 but their chances, I think, are significantly higher to, to me, than I, the other three teams. To me, I agree. I think the Dodgers, you know, they, they pulled out all the stops from the NLDS, as they should, um, but they're going to be going in against a well-rested, frankly, more well-rounded, better team. I, I do think the Indians-Blue Jays series is going to go six, seven games. I would have to pick the Cubs in either four or five in this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the Dodgers can win a game, but I do, you know, and there's a chance they can win the series, but I do think the Cubs, Ben, are a significantly better team, and I think they're significantly more rested, and none of the rest helps, but they play with so much energy and so many different ways to beat you. Um, but I don't I, I don't think the Dodgers match up very – I don't think any team matches up very well with them. Yeah, it's a seven-game series, I think. Anything could happen in that span, especially when you have Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. But like Kyle said, the the Cubs are just they're so good in every area. I mean, what is their weakness? Yeah. <laughs> they don't really the the lineup is a complete monster. Right the field, Jason starting Hayward. Road, <laughs> that's the I know weakness. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> the big free agent signing is uh but I mean Hayward, you you know, you can use Hayward in in the right situation. He gives you value. I mean, there's He's such a good defensive field, player. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, there, but there's no there's no real, you know, the, the top of their lineup, the middle of their lineup, the bottom of their lineup. It's it's all stacked. They they field well at pretty much every position, especially the the key positions in the middle of the diamond and the the starting pitching. I mean, between Lester, as you mentioned, Hendricks, Arietta, Lackey. I mean, there's they just keep coming after you, and then the bullpen is is great too. And Chapman at the end of the game. It's just uh, it's an extremely well-rounded team with not only very few weaknesses, but just so many so many things they do that are about as good as any team in the league. Yeah, that's it. Everything they do, they do at a very high level. So the Dodgers do have some of the Cubs' versatility. They have some of the Cubs' depth. They have some of their star power. But I think overall, uh, you know, outside of Kershaw, and at his best last year, Arietta was. Kershaw esque, you know, he hasn't been that this year. So, um, you know, that 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 could be if you save Kershaw for Game Three, he's still matching up with Arietta most likely. So, really tough matchup for anybody against the Cubs. But uh, but we'll see, we'll see how that matches up. We've got a meeting we got to get to, uh, so we got to wrap this up. But uh, we came in twenty three minutes under Game Seven, so uh, it's seventh inning last night. So congratulations, guys. All right, ben we Kyle, it. well done. So for Kyle Glazer, Ben Battler, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. Most likely that'll be on Monday after a weekend of uh, League Championship Series games. So enjoy them. For those guys, I'm John. We'll see you on Monday at the next BA podcast. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.